Tonight, let's open the Holy Scriptures to the book of Joshua in the first place. Joshua chapter 1, followed by Psalm 27. Our text is drawn from Psalm 27. That'll be the focus of the sermon, the very last verse of Psalm 27. But David, in writing Psalm 27, has some of the thoughts of Joshua 1 in mind. And so we're going to read Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, in the Pew Bible, page 226. 226. So the Israelites are camped on the western, no, the eastern side of the Jordan. They're about to go into the land of Canaan. That's how the book of Joshua begins. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now to the book of Psalms, Psalm 27, page 583 in the Pew Bible. Psalm 27 of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up, above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And just draw it to your attention. There's a 
a shift in thought here at verse 7. Verses 1 through 6 are words of confidence in the Lord, and then begins a cry, a cry of lament at verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The focus of the sermon this evening will be the last verse of Psalm 27, verse 14, where David writes, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And in response to the preaching, we'll sing about how the Lord responds to those who wait. Psalm 40, the stanzas 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, do you enjoy waiting? I imagine most of us have had to wait around for things of one kind or another. You've had to wait for your turn in the doctor's office, waiting for your mechanic to fix the car. Some of you have had to wait for supplies to be delivered to the work site before you can get your job underway. Kids wait for the school bell to ring. We wait for our birthday to finally get here. Sometimes we're waiting for bigger things in life, waiting for a marriage proposal, maybe Maybe waiting for the wedding day to finally come. Maybe waiting for a baby. Lots of times we also are waiting to see how a certain idea we have or tried to implement, how it works out. Something we've tried or done, we want to wait to see how that goes in the long run. All of us, I think, spend lots of time waiting, but how many of us really are good at it. And what about when we are in some kind of trouble? Some sort of crisis. We need help. How easy is it then for us to wait? A year ago, we entered 2021 after enduring nine months of government restrictions, including on-again, off-again lockdowns as the authorities tried to contain the spread of COVID. Many of us have spent the last year waiting for the emergency to end, waiting for the restrictions to finally be lifted, waiting for the return of our freedoms, waiting for the, the virus to lose its grip on our society. But 12 full months later, we're still waiting. 
and it's taken its toll, hasn't it? There's a weariness upon many of us. Church life hasn't been the same all these 21 months. Joyful events had to be canceled or drastically altered. Certain fellowship activities have been put on the shelf. Opinions among us differ sharply. Relationships have been affected, even strained. There's a, a sadness and a sorrow and a, and a low feeling among a number of us that's really hard to shake. Some have a sense that things are never going to return to normal. And even the turn of the new year does very little to bring hope. And so we wait. But we're not sure anymore what it is we're waiting for. Well, how good it is then to meditate this evening on God's Word here in Psalm 27, the 14th verse, which tells us how to go about waiting with hope, waiting with purpose, waiting even with certainty. We do that by setting our hearts to wait upon the Lord. That'll be the thought of this evening, the theme, as I bring you the Word of the Lord, wait for the Lord. We'll see two things, the work involved in waiting and the reward involved in waiting, the work and the reward of waiting. Well, our text obviously is the very last verse of this Psalm of David in which he instructs himself and us to wait. And David's situation was certainly dire, wasn't it? I mean, we get a sense, we get hints of that throughout the, the first part of the psalm, uh, a part that, I, as I mentioned, is expressing David's confidence. Um, it's a confidence that he goes about receiving from the Lord or getting from the Lord over against the fear he's got. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So there, there's fear present, but he's chasing out the fear. Again in verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. And verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And we know from the Bible that David was in his lifetime in various circumstances where his life was really threatened. He was running for his life several times in the days of King Saul. And even later in his own kingship, his son Absalom turned on him and wanted to kill him. So these allusions here to evildoers, these allusions to attacks from soldiers, it's not exaggeration, it's not metaphorical. David lived many years under the real threat of losing his life, of being murdered. And that threat, threat to his safety, came as much uh, from the swords, or uh, rather as much from tongues as from swords. Maybe that's to our surprise. The threat is from words as much as it is from arrows. David mentions that in verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. False witnesses, liars. People were whispering untrue things into Saul's ear, stoking up Saul's jealousy, painting David as an enemy who wanted to usurp the throne. That increased Saul's hatred. You can think of people like Doeg the Edomite. 
Even Absalom, his own son, later would lie and use deceit to make his father, the king, look bad in the eyes of the common people. And Absalom would say, if only I was king, I would solve all these disputes that the king isn't solving. Satan, the father of lies, has long used untruths, half-truths, lies, deceit, to, to manipulate God's people and make them think a certain way that favors Satan's plan, that works against the kingdom of heaven, works against the church. You ever experienced something like that yourself? Where things are promised or things are said to you, or things are acted upon, things which turn out not to be true, but in the meantime, those things that have been said, they cause a lot of damage to yourself, to you personally, or maybe even to the, to the church more broadly. That's where David was at. He, he lived in this, the awful mess of this situation where lies hid the truth. And many of his fellow church members, many fellow Israelites, despised David because they believed the lies. Many people saw him as a traitor and a lout. That's the situation David was in as he's writing Psalm 27. And when you're in that situation, what can you do? When people believe things about you that aren't true, what can you do? How do you fix a situation like that? Well, there is no instant fix, is there? Such things are outside of any one person's control. You, you can't just regain favor with the 12 tribes in an instant. You can't just tell people, look, stop believing this piece of information. That's fake news. Don't believe that. And then suddenly they start believing the real truth. It doesn't work like that. People aren't convinced like that. Your name isn't going to be cleared overnight. People aren't going to love you and trust you and respect you again just like that. Reputations are not rebuilt in a day. And who has the ability to turn human hearts from thinking evil about a person to thinking good about a person? Who has the ability to repel army attacks of armies and give safety in the midst of swords and arrows and spears? Well, David recognized he could not do that for himself. That there was and there is only one who could possibly do that, which is why David doesn't just say in our text, wait. He says, wait for the Lord. Sometimes we, we just tell each other to wait, right? We say in a, in a tough situation, look, just, just give it time. Just give it time. And there's truth in that. There's, there is a certain amount of wisdom in that. It's often beneficial to not act rashly, to wait and see how things change and develop and then perhaps make a decision and take an action. But according to Scripture, a far better, a far greater wisdom is to wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord who is actually in control of all the circumstances. Don't just wait for improvements to happen on their own, because they don't happen on their own, but actively wait for the one true God to bring about the improvements needed. Actively wait. That's what David is driving at here when he repeats the command a second time. This kind of waiting isn't just 
passing time. It's not like we might do when we know there's a, 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 something we have to wait for and we might say, well, look, uh, it's going to be a while. I'm going to take a nap. Just wake me up when there's some change. I'm going to crash for a bit. Or maybe we wait differently. Maybe we, we wait by hunkering down into our work. We don't know how long this thing is going to be, so we just we keep ourselves busy. I'm going to put my shoulder to the wheel. I'm going to work hard, and before I know it, this thing will be over. It would be quite natural for us to wait by distracting ourselves. David takes a different tack. Wait for the Lord. This kind of waiting involves a very conscious hope. Like in Psalm 130, verse 5, where the psalmist cries out using the same verbs, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. He's got waiting and hoping in the same breath. And that's what we need here too. To wait upon the Lord is to place our trust in the Lord. It's to have a confident hope in the Lord. This is the work of waiting, waiting upon the Lord. There's activity, there's action involved in this waiting. David's actually doing this in the earlier part of the psalm. He's putting his faith, he's exercising his faith in the Lord, counting upon the Lord to come through in his troubles. We read about that in verse 2. He's got expectation. The Lord is the stronghold, or verse 1, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David's talking to himself. What's he doing? Well, he's going over certain facts. He's going over what he knows about the Lord. And he takes that knowledge and he sets that knowledge over against his crisis situation. And where does David get that knowledge from? Like, where is he drawing this information from? Well, he gets it from all that the Lord has revealed about himself in his temple. That was a, a big point of revelation in David's day. And in his written word, the Scriptures. Five books of Moses for David. That word was taught in God's house, which is why David in verse 4 wants to be in God's house. He wants to inquire about the Lord there from the priests and the Levites, for then David can better understand the Lord. David can grow closer to God. He can be more confident in all of the Lord's provisions. Well, what is it that the Lord has revealed about Himself that makes David unafraid? Because that's what he says, I'm not afraid even if an army camps around me. I'm not afraid. He must have learned quite something in the temple from the Word to make David unafraid. Well, he would have learned things like what the Lord said to Father Abram back in Genesis 15. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then the story of Genesis shows how all of Abraham's life, the Lord was a protective shield around Abram, protecting him against his enemies from the outside as well as from the inside of his house. And David would have been aware that God made a similar promise to Father Isaac and to Father Jacob and to all the nation of Israel. 
David would have read or heard from the priest Moses' words in Deuteronomy 33, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. See, the, the strategy David's got is this. He, he, he took God's promises written there in the Word, taught in the temple. He took all those assurances. He took the history of God's faithful care of Israel, which he had done time over after time, year after year, how he had rescued them out of Egypt, how he had protected them in the wilderness, how he had given them power to overcome the Canaanites, just as God had promised. And David took all of those facts, and he went to work, waiting he went to work building up his hope while he waited and his confidence in the, in the midst of his own personal trouble. That's the secret, beloved. That's what you and I need to do. That's what our waiting needs to look like. Recall what God has promised as well as what God has done in the course of history in real time, in real life crises, whether written in Scripture or maybe written on the pages of your own life. Think about that. What has God done for you as well as for the, the history of the church? And see how the, the actions of the Lord in history will restore your confidence. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus Himself did? When He walked the earth endeavoring to serve God just like David did, just like David, He was opposed, wasn't He? He was opposed at every turn by, by enemies who were lying about him, who made false accusations against him, enemies who were looking for ways to put him to death, and they finally found a way to turn him over to the Roman governor so that the governor would hand him over to be crucified. And all the while, what did Jesus do? He put his life actively in the hands of his father. He leaned on his father in prayer waiting for his father to follow through on his promise to vindicate his son, to give him the throne at his right hand. Jesus knew what the father had promised him, and he was looking to the father to make that happen. And at the right time, God did make that happen. And because Christ did what he did, and because he received what God had promised, how much more reason do we have for confidence and hope in the day of our trouble. You know, the Lord promised Joshua, we read that in Joshua 1, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Beautiful promise. What did the Lord Jesus promise you and me and all the church? Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you that's Jesus' way of saying, I will never forsake you or leave you. So in your waiting for God to act, brothers and sisters, take your thoughts, force your thoughts to go over what God has promised you in Jesus, what God has done for you in the Savior. Has He not promised to work out all things for your good and His glory? Take that promise. Has he not promised to crush Satan under your feet? Collect that promise. Has he not vowed to give you the kingdom of heaven? 
And has he not secured your place in his kingdom by the death of his only begotten son? Grab that promise too. and Put it over against the crisis. Put it over against the trouble. Whatever it is. How then can the trouble, how then can government restrictions or a spreading virus hold back God's plans or keep His love from us? Can't do it. How then can strife in my relationships or pain in my body interrupt or foil the Lord's saving grace from preserving me as His child? Can any of these things, can any enemy anywhere or any trouble anywhere prevent the Lord my God from coming to my aid? Beloved of the Lord, regain your confidence. Regain your confidence if it's been slipping. As you enter into the new year of our Lord, waiting for the Lord with a sure hope, with a strong heart, that takes courage, that finds courage in the Lord. For David mentions that, and that's actually the first reward we experience when we do the work of waiting in faith. David gives a command in our text. Aside from wait for the Lord, he says, be strong and let your heart take courage. Now, when you read that at first and just go right along, it can sound like so many people today say such things when people are down in the dumps. You know, the people are low and they're dispirited and then somebody will say, look, chin up, don't let things get to you, be a man, you can do this, you go girl, you got this. And they, 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 they try their best to talk a person into or out of their their funk, and to move forward. But if you're in that funk, if you're really down low, you know that you are feeling so weak and so low when someone tells you, you can do this, it's empty. It's hollow. They don't give you a power supply. They just give you a pep talk. You don't have the power. Your energy is tapped out. Your, your desire, your drive has is, is left you. You don't have any strength. Your resolve is at zero. Your confidence has gone kaput. The situation you're, you're facing has dragged on so long. There, there's nothing left in you to combat it, and there's, you, you feel there's not a thing you can do to change it. That, that idea that you got this, that might work in the movies. But in real life, it's nothing more than wishful thinking. Is that what David is doing here? Is this just a little pious pep talk trying to kind of pump us up with, with empty rhetoric? Well, David certainly does want to leave us with a good feeling. But it's not at all an empty feeling. It's not a manufactured feeling. These are not empty words. David has chosen his words very, very carefully. Be strong and let your heart take courage. David's heard those words somewhere before. David knew his scriptures. He had 
read this command of the Lord Himself more than once. And we read just one example in Joshua 1. You could go back to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and 30 and find similar commands. But in Joshua 1, the Lord appears to Joshua. Joshua's got this gargantuan task, right? He's about to bring Israel across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Moses has died, so you can't depend on Moses. And he's got to bring this unruly collection of misfits across the river. They have to destroy all the Canaanites. And then they have to settle in an orderly way in that land. I mean, this is a huge undertaking. It's fraught with danger and, humanly speaking, had zero chance of success. How is a ragtag, throw-together army of former slaves going to march in and overtake a land of giants who had fortified cities and trained soldiers with decades of experience in fighting? Where will these Israelites find the strength? Where will they get the courage to go over the Jordan and face those enemies and take their land? Well, the Lord tells Joshua where they can get it. Verse 5 of that chapter, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, Joshua, or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Same verbs as our text. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. The Lord repeats it. Being careful to do all according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. The strength he's talking about, the courage he's talking about, doesn't come out of Joshua's heart. It's not Joshua's willpower from deep inside of him. It doesn't come out of thin air. No, the strength and the courage comes from the presence of the Lord with him. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I'm going over the Jordan with you, Joshua. I'm going throughout the land of Canaan with you. I will be at the forefront of the army. As long as you stay faithful to me, keep my commands, I will provide courage for your heart. I will provide strength for your arms, endurance for your legs, accuracy for your bow, swiftness for your sword, and success in all I send you to do. That's where the courage comes from. And brothers and sisters, that promise is not just for Joshua. It's for you and me and all God's people. Moses said this very same thing to all the Israelites. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of the Canaanites, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So the command to Joshua is a repeat of the command to all the Israelites generally. And now if the Lord Yahweh would never forsake the people that He redeemed out of the land of Egypt with His mighty hand and His outstretched arm, how could Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus Christ, how could He ever forsake you, the people He has redeemed from slavery to sin by His precious blood? He will never leave you or forsake you. His blood is over you. As we enter this new year, beloved, let us not wait for a better day to come. Let us instead wait for the Lord to 
to follow through on his promises. That's the sure thing we can count on. In all the history of the world, the Lord has never let one of his promises fall to the ground. He has never not provided what was needed in the hour that it was needed. And so we can rest assured with David, verse 13 of the psalm, that we most certainly shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It will be the Lord himself who gives strength to our heart and courage in the face of difficulty, courage to persevere, to stick it out, to rely upon the Lord while continuing to follow his word day by day. Well, that in itself is quite a reward, isn't it? To receive strength and courage in your heart. To experience a lift of the spirits, to feel the Holy Spirit move us off the basement floor of depression and despair to the rooftop of hope and confidence and joy in the Lord. Beautiful. But still there's more. Not only does the Lord give us these feelings which are based on facts, he gives us more. The Lord gives us himself. I am with you. I'm not sending you out alone. And since the very first Christmas, brothers and sisters, we know our Savior by the name Emmanuel, God with us. That's Jesus. The greatest reward of waiting upon the Lord is that the Lord comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit of Christ. The Lord our God, He keeps us company in the troubles. He makes His fellowship known. He steadies our hearts. He gives us relief from fear. He hears and answers our prayers. He restores our peace, our sense of equilibrium in this world. He fills our hearts with happiness. He's with us. Just like you're happy to walk your girlfriend home or drive her home or your boyfriend to to walk beside him or her, to live beside your husband and wife, you know, those good relationships that God gives us, they bring happiness, right? Well, much more happiness do we receive from walking with our God and living with our God day by day by day. That's what the work of waiting brings. Waiting in faith. We'll sing it from Psalm 40. I waited and I waited for the Lord. Then from the pit he lifted me up. From clay and mire he set me free. The Lord bent down to me. My cry he heard. Upon a rock he brought me. That's our reality today. It's our future forever. Yeah, this world is working very, very hard to bring us down. But everyone who waits in faith upon the Lord will find themselves caught up to safety with him high upon the rock whose name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.